right, we've got a special promotion for the faithful listeners of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. Here's the deal, Jack. <laughs> We're taking an impact team to Pastor Paul and Deanna Alvarez in Lima, Peru. <laughs> they let us know that they need some equipment. We'd like to give you a chance to help us buy them a new iPad and a new smart TV for their children's church. Our goal is to raise $1,000 for these items, and we think you'd like to help. So here's what we're offering. So here's what we came up with, guys. When you donate $30 or more to this fund, uh, you're going to get a six-month subscription to the premium podcast at no additional cost. And when you donate $50 or more, then we're going to give you a full year. How about that? Yeah. You'll get all the benefits of our premium sermon podcast, which means daily sermons, interruption-free listening, and zero commercials. We'll get new subscribers out of it, and Pastor Alvarez will get some new equipment to help with what God is doing there. Uh, we think it's a win-win-win. <laughs> uh, this promotion will only last until our impact team, which is happening toward the end of June. So don't miss this opportunity. But wait. Pastor Adam, Dave, what if, what if I'm already a premium subscriber? I'm so glad you asked. Well, so we are going to pass to you, those of you who are already paying for a subscription, we can give you a gift subscription that you can pass on to somebody else out there who always wanted to subscribe but never got around to it for whatever reason. Right. So all of the links will be in the show notes. And we look forward to being a blessing to you and to Pastor Paul in the coming weeks. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you so much tonight for your generosity and your patience with all of these announcements. Uh, I'm glad that uh, we, we, can, we can do something for the kingdom of God tonight. I'm glad that it's, uh, it's, not, not the, it's, it's better than the alternative of uh, we got nothing to do, we'll see you next Sunday. Amen. And so I'd rather be too busy than not busy enough. Tonight... Uh, I am grateful for all of you. I'm grateful for your attendance. I want to say uh, how much I appreciate everyone who keeps things running smoothly, even when I'm preaching out for a weekend like we did on Sunday. Thank you to the Smales. Thank you to Brother Andre, who preached a powerful message on Sunday morning. That was a great blessing. Amen. We can give God praise for that. Discipleship at work. We're, uh, we appreciate all of that and uh, all of you for being here to support. And praise the Lord. Let's open up our Bibles tonight. Nehemiah chapter 13. This is uh, another one of those messages that comes directly out of our Bible reading program. As we had just gone through Nehemiah a few days, about a week ago, I think. And uh, as I was reflecting on this, this particular chapter and uh, having some... Uh, having some uh, inspiration from a podcast that I listened to. I wanted to go over this with you tonight. Believe God to inspire you. Nehemiah chapter 13. I want to ask you a question to begin this evening. How much does it cost to get clean and stay clean? Now you think that's a simple question with a simple answer, but it is far from simple. The answer to that question really depends on what you mean by the word clean. How clean are we talking about? I was thinking about this building that we are sitting in tonight. When we first moved in here in 2020, it's crazy to think that that was uh, almost two years ago now. Uh, you know, this building had been empty for about a year. There had been nobody coming in or out, uh, no AC or heat running for that time. 
And so, as with any empty building, it means that there was some cleanup that needed to be done. There was some dust that had collected. There was some smells that had risen up from various places, right? And so for us, you know, to prepare this building and get it ready, it was a, it was a lengthy process. Uh, we, we, you know, initially came in, we were using the half, half of this uh, current room, and then we took the walls down with the help of the guys from the Havelock Church. What a blessing that was. And all of the work that went into that, and uh, you know, as I was thinking about it, I'm, I'm estimating in my mind, what was the cost of that re- renovation so that we can have a nice building and a facility that we can sit in and be comfortable in tonight? And I would estimate we spent probably 25000 maybe $30,000 to prepare this building and get it in pretty good shape. That's, that's no small amount of money, uh, and thankfully, you know, God allowed us to do that. Uh, but when you think about that cost uh, and divide it by the square foot, square footage of this building, which is 9,300 square feet, that amounts to $2.69 per square foot. So just look down at the floor for a second. You see one of those uh, carpet tiles, uh, and you, if you were to cover the whole building in that size carpet tile. That means each one is $2.69. That's what it costs to renovate this place and get it looking nice. All right? So that's how much it costs to get clean. But if then you define the word clean in a much more stringent way, what if we wanted to convert this building not just into a nice church facility, but let's say we wanted to convert it into a clean room environment so that we could produce and manufacture hard drives for computers. Well, then we're talking about something very different, aren't we? A clean room is an area that has uh, no impurities, where it does not allow contamination. It requires a certain air velocity and pressure to be maintained at all times, temperature and humidity to to be tightly controlled under rigid specifications. And the filtration that is necessary for this type of work means that you have to keep air particulates at less than 10 per cubic foot of air. For every cubic foot of air, less than 10 particulates. Without a filtration system, our normal air is measured in hundreds of thousands of particulates. And so what that means tonight is that the cost to get a building that clean goes up dramatically. Have you ever investigated how much it would cost to have a hard drive data restoration? In, in the industry I work, uh, sometimes we have people come in with broken hard drives, and there's pictures and documents and important things on hard drives, and we have to give people the bad news that if you want to get this data back, they, there, there's a place that has to dismantle your hard drive That can only happen in a clean room environment. And that's why the cost of this type of restoration is through the roof. We're talking about starting prices of $800, perhaps even $1,000, depending on how much we're talking about. You say, why does it cost so much? Well, because it has to happen in a clean room. And so I began to look and see what, what would it take to convert a building like this into a clean room environment with all the filtration and the, uh, the necessary ingredients and floors and walls. And uh, one company I saw was quoting that at least at a very base minimum to get just the standard version of a clean room environment, we're talking about $800 per square foot. Remember, what we spent on the building before was about $2.69 per square foot. Now we're talking about $800 per square foot times 9,300 square feet in this building. We're talking about $7.4 million. I say that to say this. Righteousness is expensive. To get clean and to stay clean is no easy thing. Perhaps why, that's why we have this statement that says cleanliness. And God said amen. We have this statement that goes like this. Cleanliness is close to godliness. 
Because tonight it is very expensive to create and maintain this kind of environment. In the scripture we're about to read, we find the reformer named Nehemiah. And he has, in the previous 12 chapters, gone through an incredibly difficult process to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you're probably, hopefully, familiar with the story. He is a he is, a, uh, he is an officer of the king of Persia. He hears about his home city, Jerusalem, that has been destroyed. His heart is to rebuild that city and rebuild its walls so that they can thrive once more. Through some miracle uh, situations, he is empowered and equipped by the king of Persia to go and lead a rebuilding of his home city. And you read the story, it's incredible, and we're going to look at it here in just a moment. But then, after a period of time, he is successful. God empowers him and equips him. And after a certain amount of time, he goes back to the, his hometown of Susa. And there, after some years, he hears that all of the work that he has accomplished in Jerusalem has been broken. And he now has to come back and do it all over again. And what we're going to read tonight is the difficult and expensive process of bringing things back up to code. And I pray that you'll be inspired about this tonight. Nehemiah chapter 13, we're just going to read verses 6 through 9, but we're going to bounce through this whole chapter tonight. Here's Nehemiah speaking. He says, During all this I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then, after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came back to Jerusalem. And I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense, the high price of righteousness. That's the name of this message tonight. Let's pray for just a moment. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We're asking tonight, God, that our hearts would be open to hear from you. We're desperate, God, for you to move. God, cleanse those things in our hearts that have been... uh, uh, Let us stray, God. Let go over time. Lord, bring us back to a place of conviction. And God, that we would hear your voice tonight. We give you glory in Jesus' name. God's people would say, Amen. Again, the title of this message, The High Price of Righteousness. I want to begin with this thought. Time is no friend to righteousness. Time is no friend to of righteousness. What does that mean, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. There is in our lives a certain spiritual gravity that if left on the regular course of life, that if we stay, you know, like a pilot who's flying an airplane, they have a saying, straight and level. If all forces remain the same, we think that our lives will just remain straight and level, that will keep our elevation But the truth is, our spiritual lives, there is constantly a force of gravity pulling you back to the dust of your sin that you came out of. It's just like those those satellites that are even now above our head, twirling around the earth in orbit. It took an incredible amount of energy to get those things in orbit. You you know that? And and they are on a razor's edge of physics that keeps them in gravity, that keeps them in orbit, rather. But constantly is the threat and the danger that those satellites, that there is a force that is pulling on them, and if one thing goes wrong, if there's a, if there's a collision, if the, the atmosphere, if there's some kind of issue, guess what? Those things are in danger of crashing down on our heads. There is constantly in the Christian life 
the reality that though you may have achieved something in your life, God has brought you to a certain point. Thank God. He has brought you to a place where you're in church on a Wednesday night. Thank God for that, right? You're in church. You're here to, to hear from God, to worship God. But I want to tell you, just because you're here and just because you're maintaining this course does not mean that it will stay that way. There is a gravity constantly that is pulling us back to a life of bondage and sin. I wish I could tell you that you remain on course and the automatic course of life is to continue in an upward trend. But we know that that's not the case. Jesus said that those who endure will see life. In other words, it's not automatic. It's not put it on cruise control and fall asleep. Despite our best efforts, how many know? We will not escape in this physical life. We will not escape the gravity of death. Think the physical realm for a moment, right? So there's people here, you know, who exercise, try to eat right, try to keep, uh, you know, keep our bodies healthy. But you know, uh, no matter how much, no matter how healthy we might be in the moment and even going the right direction, none of us will escape the gravity of death unless Jesus comes back first, right? That's the only way. Uh, and so, you know, there are times when it seems like everything is wonderful. You know, a little baby is born. It's a new birth. Uh, you know, our bodies grow and develop. And then at a certain point, things start falling apart. Right? And that's the normal course of life. That's the gravity of our physical nature that is trending toward destruction. In physics, they call this the law of entropy. All things are trending toward chaos. And that is also true in the spiritual life. There is a spiritual gravity pulling us back to the dirt that we came out of. This is true in our story tonight. In the story of Nehemiah. As I mentioned, the first 12 chapters of this book are like the rocket ship that is taking off from Cape Canaveral. And it takes incredible uh, energy and fuel to get off the ground and into orbit. Nehemiah has to organize, has to fight. Nehemiah has to lead, has to set a good example. Nehemiah has to fight off enemies. He also has to fight off conspiracies within the camp. He has to instruct the men to be working with one hand and holding a sword with the other hand. And this is extremely difficult. It was a miracle that God brought him to the place that he was able to lead the people and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Those first 12 chapters are an incredible miracle of God. He has led the rebuilding of Jerusalem. He has restored the temple worship. He has overseen a return then as the faithful Jews from around the areas begin to return home to the homeland. This is all a spiritual renewal and a revival. It leads to them once again opening up the scrolls and reading the laws of Moses. And this leads to a confession of sins. You can read that, how they confess their sins. And man, Nehemiah is looking at this and he says, yes, this is what I was praying for. This is what I was believing God for. I rebuild the walls. Jerusalem comes together. The people come back. The scrolls are open. Oh, and it's like, man, you wish that the story ended in chapter 12. You wish that that would be the end of the story and Nehemiah rides off into the sunset being a successful leader of a spiritual renewal and that we get to see him in heaven and shake his hand. Good job, bro. That was amazing. But that's not what happened. Chapter 13 picks up the same story after a time jump. It's like when in the movies, you know, when the screen goes black. And the title comes on the screen and it says, Eight Years Later. And eight years later, things have changed. All of the wonderful work that God has done through Nehemiah's life in only eight years. It seems as though things have slipped and slidden all the way back to where they were before they even started. This is what happens in the city of Jerusalem. And to the great uh, disappointment of Nehemiah, he has to deal with the same things over again. Be careful tonight. 
in your life. I'm not just talking about Jerusalem in an ancient city, in an ancient story. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life. Because we all have the capability of letting this life pull us down. Jesus said in the last days, Mark 13, 22, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Did you hear that? That just because you're sitting in church on a Wednesday night doesn't mean that the enemy's not targeting you. That there are going to be things happening in these last days that can pull even the most faithful among us out of the will of God. That's the danger. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11, For this reason God would send them strong delusion that they would believe the lie. That's what's happening in our world today. When you have a world that says uh, men can be women and women can be men and uh, men have female organs and females have male organs and uh, yeah, that's all just fine and dandy. And, uh, uh, you know, six foot eleven and uh, 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 can compete in the women's sports. Come on, man. And this is, this is what we're seeing. This is strong delusion. And even many in the church are believing the lie. Jesus speaks about it in Revelation 13. Verse 13, when the, the, uh, the Antichrist will come and make his appearance on the earth, what does he say will happen? That he will perform great signs so that even he will make fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he will deceive those who dwell on earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. In other words, it will be so convincing that this man is a miracle worker that the whole world will be deceived by his miracles. But they will be nothing greater than the miracles of Pharaoh's magicians in Egypt. It's all just an act. It's all going to be just a, just a magician's game. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you this tonight, because you are susceptible to this spiritual gravity that can pull you back. Have you ever wondered tonight why it is somebody can be radically saved, sitting in church with a heart full of God, full of passion and vision for their life, for the first 20 years of salvation, and then all of a sudden, you hit the skids. And it seems like that person who was once so on fire for God, all of a sudden can't find him anymore. Don't think tonight that you're more spiritual, that you're not susceptible. Of course you are. And the devil will use every which way and every strategy he can to pull you down. What happened to Jerusalem can happen to you. And in that situation, what do we do? When we find ourselves... Coming home to a house that is messier than we thought it was is the answer just to leave the mess. I was talking to my kids today in our Bible class about dirty diapers. When you have the baby that makes a dirty diaper, a bad parent leaves the dirty diaper for too long, causing greater problems. A good parent smells it immediately. What'd you do? Come here change the dirty diaper the problem is in our spiritual lives guess what we can make some dirty diapers in our soul we can have some unforgiveness we can have some bitterness stinking up the place we can have some unforgiven sin that's uh, causing irritation in our soul and you would think it would be obvious just come to the altar and let god clean you up but see not everybody does that there are some people who are wearing dirty diapers for the last five years of your spiritual life. And that's why many times reforms are necessary and needed. I feel like Nehemiah would come back to this situation after eight years and he would say something like this, I just got done cleaning this place and you've already let it get messy again. So in my Bible, when you open chapter 13, it has a title. And you know, you know, just be careful when you read the titles that are in your Bible because the Word of God is inspired. The titles that we put on there are not inspired. Some guy thought of that and titled it. In my Bible, there was a title on the top of chapter 13, and it said, the, it said Nehemiah's Reforms. 
<laughs> and yes, that is technically true. He is about to make some reforms, but you know that sounds like a very uh, sterile corporate boardroom meeting. You know, that sounds like something very, uh, very highfalutin. And you know, uh, Nehemiah is going to reform. This, this is about to get real ugly in a minute. These reforms. It was far more than just Nehemiah's reforms, because what Nehemiah comes back to do is to make the city and the temple righteous once again. And this righteousness that he's going to bring is extremely expensive. How is it tonight that we can find righteousness in our souls once again? Well, let's look at this chapter with greater detail. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Verse 1. It starts with a renewed commitment to the Word of God. You know, the Word of God has been a theme for the last few weeks, hasn't it? Brother Andre preached that message on Sunday morning, hit the nail on the head. You can't say that you love God if you don't love His Word. We see that in our scripture, Nehemiah 13, verse 1. On that day they read from the book of Moses and the hearing of the people. This renewal, this revival got started when they got serious about the Word. Isn't this the same pattern you find in other renewal spiritual? You see this with King Josiah. The one who was eight years old when he took the throne as king under the, uh, under the advisement of his uh, righteous priest uncle, Jehoiada. And uh, as an eight-year-old boy, what did they do? They, they dusted off the scrolls. And they said, what does the Word of God say? And this ushered them into a time of incredible spiritual renewal and revival in their souls. When's the last time you dusted off the pages of your Bible? When's the last time you put Facebook away and put your face in His book? Listen tonight, we must have a daily commitment. And I'm not just talking about uh, having a good habit of reading the Word. I'm letting about letting the Word read you. And letting it affect you and touch your life. That day, this revival, this renewal begins when they opened up the Word of God. Isn't this the same way that Jesus began his ministry in Luke chapter 4 verse 16 he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and as is as was his custom he went in the synagogue and he stood up to read he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah he opened the book and he found the place where it is written the spirit of the Lord is upon me he has anointed me to preach the gospel and you know the story that's the mark of the beginning of his ministry. He says, these words from Isaiah, these ancient words are being fulfilled as I read them. That was the start of an incredible movement that you are still a part of here 2,000 years later. Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You can't look at this book seriously without it changing you, without it touching you, without it inspiring you, 
Don't tell me how much you love Jesus and how much you love coming to church if you can't stand when the preacher says, open up your Bibles. The seed is the Word of God. Luke 8.11 Jeremiah 23.29 Is not my word like a fire? Have you lost your fire? You lost your passion and your zeal that you had in New Convert days. Where did it go? Maybe you forgot. My word is like a fire and like a hammer. Jesus, when we see Him coming from heaven, in Revelation 1.16, in His right hand He had seven stars. Out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Jesus speaks words that are sharp, that still have power today. So, what we have in Nehemiah is when the word... When the books of Moses were opened up, it began to reveal the depths of the issue. Nehemiah 13.1 On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come to the assembly of God. God specifically made mention of these two people groups, the Ammonites and the Moabites. There's a lot of history there that you can go study on your own. The point is that these two people groups represented rebellion against God. Represented a wicked mixing of the ways of the world with the ways of the church. And God says, I don't want that. I don't want that spirit of having one foot in the world and one foot in the will of God. He says, I don't even want them to come close. This is not a racial thing. This is about the way that they believed. He says, these people should never be in the assembly of God. That's what they found in the book of Moses. And then they, they look up from reading the scroll and what do they see? Oh, brother, uh, brother so-and-so, he's married to an Ammonite. Brother so-and-so, he's married to a Moabite. They have five Moabite children. Oh, and by the way, uh, all, all of the, uh, the temple, uh, actually, there's a guy here named Tobiah. It talks about this in verse 4. Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Everybody say the name Tobiah. Guess who he was? An Ammonite. We read that in Nehemiah chapter 2. And what is he doing? He has been given charge over the storehouse in the temple. God said, I don't even want these people near my house. We know tonight that there is occasions of people converting from their Moabite ways. Remember the story of Ruth? She was a Moabite girl. But because she had faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, she found a place in the will of God. She was welcomed into the family of God because she changed her heart. The problem is when you have somebody like Tobiah who's been there for eight years, he's been given a place of prominence and position And he's not a person who has any respect for the things of God. He's actually working against the true worship of the God of Israel. Apparently, Tobiah has not changed over the years. He never joined in the people of God. His problem was evident to to Nehemiah, but apparently, here's the priest, Eliashib, who is totally blind. He says, yeah, no problem. You come in, you put your furniture... You can put some, uh, you know, hang something on the wall. Make it however you like. That's what's happening to the church today. Just bring it in. Whatever is out there in the world, let's just repurpose it for the church. Let's make it cool. Let's have pastors in uh, tight jeans. And let's have, uh, you know, we don't need a whole sermon. We don't need to get deep in the Word. Let's just, let me just sit on a stool and share a little from my heart. See, the world tries to, to uh, in, infect what's happening in the church. That's what happened in Jerusalem. It can happen in your heart, too. Nehemiah comes upon this, and he says, wait a second. It's not supposed to be like this. Look at verse 8. It says, it grieved me bitterly. He's not happy about this. It grieved me. People who truly have a heart for God, sometimes when you see things that are not right, it ought to grieve you. It ought to make you upset. Those rooms in the temple, those rooms were supposed to be rooms where God was moving, where the will of God was was being poured out, where the presence of God was supposed to rest. 
Nehemiah looks at this and he says, that's not what's happening. They're being occupied by a man who's a pagan, who is, has a history of opposing the work of God. It also means that Eliashib, the, the priest who's there, is supposed to be a spiritual leader. It means he's completely ineffective at protecting the sheep, right? As a priest, as a leader in your home, right? You have kids in your house. You have a leadership responsibility to protect the sheep and shoot the wolves, right? And here's Eliashib, a, a priest who's supposed to be protecting the people of God by getting rid of the wolves. And there, sitting in the, the storehouse of the, of the temple, is a wolf. So Nehemiah is questioning all of his work, all of the revival he, he enabled. It shows us he still has a heart. You remember Jesus when he came into the temple and he saw the same problem? Hundreds of years later, same temple. Jesus walks in there. What does he find? He finds Walmart. He finds people buying and selling and trading. Nobody's there to worship. Nobody's there to truly have an experience with God. God forbid that our church services ever become like that. That nobody ever has an encounter at an altar. I have in times past measured what God is doing in a church by how many boxes of tissue we go through. Can I tell you, can I be honest with you? These boxes have been here a while. What does that tell you? What happened to the weeping at the altar? What happened to people's hearts being transformed? What, have, we be, have we just become a corporate entity? Just a non-profit organization that exists to uh, just take up some space on Linhaven Parkway? God forbid, Jesus saw His temple and He saw people trading and selling. Some guy's got baseball cards. This guy has pogs. This guy's got comic books. And Jesus made a whip of cords and drove them all out of the temple. He drove them. There's gentle Jesus, meek and mild, whipping people out of the temple, pouring out the changers' money and overturning their tables. You catch a glimpse of that heart in Nehemiah too. It grieved him to find these things. So, what did Nehemiah do? What did he do about it? What would you do about it? Would you just uh, write a stern letter to the church leadership? I saw something today that I don't like. Would you write a, uh, a, uh, a very strongly worded email? Would you put in the comment section on a YouTube video? You know what Nehemiah did? He says, I th Therefore... I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. <coughs> he got physical. He says, I'm going to take this crap and I'm going to put it outside where it belongs. He is not one to sit back and just feel bad about the situation. I'm going to go back to my house and pray about it. No, he didn't pray. He didn't have to pray. He knew the will of God and he took action. He took the junk out. The stuff that was not supposed to be there he took it out and then began cleansing the rooms. Look at verse 9. I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. That word in the Hebrew is more than just standard cleaning procedures. It's like he could still smell the scent of Tobiah the Ammonite. He said, we got to fumigate this place. It is nasty. Get his influence out of here. He said, I brought them back. Brought, brought back into the, the rooms the articles of the house of God with grain, offering, and frankincense. He's not going to stand by and just allow all of the work that God allowed him to do to be wasted. He restored the temple. Second thing is he restored the money. Nehemiah 13, verse 10. I realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. Each of the Levites and the singers who did work had gone back to his field. In other words, for the temple to operate correctly, that you have to have the Levites there. The Levites are the one doing the daily practices. They're the one making the sacrifices, saying the prayers, preparing the showbread, making sure the candles stay lit, all of these things. And you have to have Levites to do it. Nobody else can do it. And so apparently, nobody thought that it was important to pay their tithe so that the Levites could get paid. So the Levites are not going to stay and starve. 
They all have their own farms. They're not supposed to own land in, according to the Word of God. But because of the situation, they've gone out and they've got farms that they're working on, the Levites, to take care of their families. Nehemiah looks at this and he says, this ain't right. This ain't right. You've allowed the Levites to plow their own fields. Verse 11, I contended with the rulers. Why is the house of God forsaken? Gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain. See, what happened was, they weren't paying their tithes. That's okay. I'll keep preaching. I'm going to finish this pretty quick here. And Nehemiah sees the situation. He says, because you are not paying your tithes, the house of God is suffering. The sacrifices are not being made. The proper uh, procedures are not being followed. All you got to do is what God told you to do. And I appointed treasurers over the storehouse. He names them. They were considered faithful. The people did not obey God's word regarding giving. What happens when you have a church that is no longer faithful to give, to surrender, to sacrifice? Well, it's very easy. The church can't do what it's supposed to do. Why is the house of God forsaken? Because the will of God is forsaken. He gathered them all together. In other words, he, he said, guys, look at the situation. It's a very simple fix. Get your money right. <laughs> you remember, uh, remember the uh, uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man. And he, he, he sees G- Jesus comes to his house. He makes the proclamation, if I've wronged anyone... I will restore it fourfold. Jesus said, praise God. Praise God, Zacchaeus. I know God's touched your heart because of your attitude toward money, toward treating people right with money. Nehemiah had to restore proper understanding of finances. Thirdly, he had to restore right priorities. I'm about to get in trouble. Nehemiah 13, verse 15. In those days I saw people in Judah treading the wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. I warned them about this day that they were selling provisions. Verse 17, I contended with the nobles and said, what is this evil thing that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did, you not, did not your fathers do this? And did not our God bring disaster on all this? He's looking around. He notices that people are violating the Sabbath laws. That they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Now I know as believers, as Christians, we are not held to all of the same laws and standards of the Levitical priesthood and the Sabbath laws. I understand all that. Guess what? we've We've got something even greater. A greater commitment than the Jewish people did. A greater commitment to the things. We're not called to only serve one day a week. We're called to serve every day of the week. Living sacrifices. He says, I saw you treading the wine presses on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was totally being ignored. The root of this is a problem of priorities. It's not a problem to buy and sell. The problem is when you're doing it. You're saying to God that my business is more important than your house. I'm sure glad that not, that doesn't happen in 2022 in Virginia Beach. Is it possible that we put our priorities ahead of the kingdom of God? You know what your priorities are supposed to be? Your priorities are supposed to be your commitment to God, your commitment to your family, your commitment to your job, And then, after that, everything else. Hobbies. Tonight, what people do is they get those things out of order. Try to put one thing ahead of another. Nehemiah saw this and he said, "Mm -mm, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to change things around. He rebukes them for violating the Sabbath. Finally, he calls them to restore relationships. This is where it gets ugly. Nehemiah 13, 23, in those days I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Remember, the law, this all started with reading the law that said that they were not supposed to have relationships with Ammonites or Moabites. 
said half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not understand the Hebrew language. So I contended with them. Whoa, watch this. Watch what Nehemiah does next. Verse 25. So I contended with them and cursed them. I struck some of them and pulled out their hair. Man, Nehemiah, you just need to take a chill pill, bro. No, he's, he, is, he is righteously angry. He says, you are not supposed to give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. He, he reminds them, verse 26, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? He reminds them of Solomon. You remember Solomon. He started out on the greatest high you can find in the Bible with financial wealth and blessing and influence. And yet, by marrying so many pagan women, they turned his heart away from the God of Israel. He says, don't you remember King Solomon, the great mistake he made? You're making it right now. You're doing the same thing. It's the gravity of this life if we don't contend, if we don't keep ourselves right. And Nehemiah has to come in and lay down the law and has to even beat them up a little bit. Pull out their hair. I can't believe you let yourself come to this. This strong reaction of Nehemiah. We can gather that he considered this to be the most dangerous of all their sins. Pursuing an ungodly romance. Being involved in romantic relationships that God had said no. I'm sure glad that never happens in 2022. People falling in love with the wrong people. I can't tell you how many people I have sat down with and heard the tragic stories of what happens when they get romantically involved with the wrong person. That's what this is about. So be careful who you give your heart to. Nehemiah saw that they had been giving their hearts to the wrong people. And you know what? It took something dramatic and something painful. Can I tell you, Nehemiah was not making any friends that day. Man, Nehemiah, do you have to be so harsh? Can't you just preach a, a, a friendly message every day of Friday and smile at us a little more? He was not making many friends. But you know who he was making a friend? He was making a friend of God. When we sing that song, I am a friend of God. You know, there's only a certain amount of people who can be friends with God. It's those who are willing to go through some painful restorations and renewals. The end of this chapter says these words, verse 31, as we close. The prayer of Nehemiah is this. Remember me, O my God, for good. In other words, he shows us his heart. And through all of this drama and through all of this difficulty and all this pain that he's inflicting, it's like for just a second he opens up his chest and he pulls out his heart and he shows it to you. He says, the reason I'm doing this? Because I love God. And I love His will. And I love righteousness. And all I want is to be right with God. And yeah, maybe I, I hurt some feelings along the way. But you know what? Maybe those feelings needed to be hurt. What does it say in Proverbs? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. They might, he might not have seemed very friendly that day when he was slapping people around and pulling out their hair. But you know what? That's what they needed. You know, I got, I got spiritually beat up plenty of times as a disciple in the Chandler Church. But you know what? I needed it. Because there were some reforms that need, was needed in my heart. There was some renovation that needed to take place. The danger is that we live for God and maybe over the course of time, maybe it's eight months, eight years, or eight decades. I don't know how long it's been for you. When's the last time God shook you up? Remember evangelist Richard Brooks? I loved him so much. One time he came here and he preached. Revival is like a bottle of Italian dressing. You remember that? And he said, what happens when you leave a bottle of Italian dressing sitting on the table? It separates. All the oils get stuck at the top. All the stuff in the vinegar in the middle. All of the chunky stuff at the bottom. And if you tried to pour that on your salad, it's not going to taste good. So what does the Italian dressing need? You shake that thing up! 
And when he came back for a revival after he preached that, I presented him. You remember that? I presented him with a bottle of Italian dressing. Thank you, Pastor Richard Brooks, for shaking us up. That's violent, isn't it? To shake us up, our souls, our spirit. But guess what? Then we can be poured out for God. We can have flavor restored to our life. What use is it to be salt that has no flavor, Jesus said. The only use for it is to be poured out on the ground. Jesus called us to be the salt and the light of the world. Is your life potent? Is your life righteous and clean? Is your life making a difference? Or have you reached a a certain stale, staleness of your soul? The gravity of life pulls down on us. What we need sometimes is we need a good shaking. We need somebody like Nehemiah to call us out and tell the truth. Say the way that it is is not right. But there's good news tonight. You can be made right. Through, through the blood of Jesus, I mentioned at the beginning the high price of righteousness. Do you remember what Jesus did so that you could be righteous? You remember the price that He paid? You remember the blood that He shed? And why He did that? The reason was to, to, so that you can be set free from your wickedness. And that you can inherit a righteousness that is not your own. You trade your brokenness for His wholeness. You will trade your rebellion for His perfect obedience. And tonight, that's my challenge, is let God shake you up. Let Him find the spot that has grown stale and cold in your soul. And tonight, by the blood of Jesus, you can be restored. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.